Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Amen. And so uh, we want to live holy. We want to live holy in conversation, lifestyle, conduct, uh, all, all, all of who we are. We want to uh, be holy unto the Lord. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 7, maybe the theme verse uh, for this holy living series, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Amen. The inference there is that he has called us to holiness. He has called us to holiness. And so uh, it's important. It's important. Holiness is important. Uh, and it's important that we remember uh, we, we, we've talked about this uh, the last three services. We'll continue talking about it. Our holiness is directly tied into our understanding of God's holiness. Amen? Amen. If you don't get anything else out of all the series, make sure you get that. If you can get that, that's going to help you. That's going to help you on this path of living holy and righteous and separate uh, as we pursue after the holiness of God. Amen. So also we will become uh, more like him every day that we live. And so we need to pursue after his holiness. Amen. Which leads us to the next verse, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Several things I need to say tonight. I want to do so in a timely manner, and, uh, but we want the Lord to help us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. And so this verse is telling us that we are to follow holiness. Right? And so this verse, uh, it's very plain, follow holiness. And so if our standard, if our standard for what holiness is, is God, then we are to be following after that holy God. Right? And so, but you got to first get a revelation of his holiness in order to know what to follow after. If you don't know him and haven't received revelation of his holiness, then you won't know what to follow after. And so you get revelation of his holiness, and uh, then you have something to follow after. You see him high and lifted up, and, uh, uh, and then you pursue after him. And so we, 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 we taught last week, this is just a little bit of recap before we jump in, but uh, we, we, when speaking of following after him and following after holiness, it's impossible to follow after something and stay where you are at the same time. You cannot follow after something until you first separate yourself from where you are, from the position you are currently in order to follow that thing. And so it's impossible for me to remain where I am and follow the things of God and the holiness of God. But if I'm willing to separate myself from where I'm at, I can then pursue after the holiness of God. And so this process, this process, and this is where we're kind of now getting into this uh, tonight's lesson, but this process of following after God's holiness, this process is what the scripture would refer to as sanctification. Sanctification. And it is, it is our, uh, you, you've probably heard that word used, sanctification, if you didn't know fully what it means, I hope to uh, define it this evening, describe it this evening, and have the Holy Ghost speak to us about this process called sanctification. It is, it is our pursuit of His holiness. It is the journey that we go on from where we are to the place of His holiness. That journey of separation 
separating ourselves further and further and further from the things where we were and the things of this world to become closer and closer and closer to him. That journey, that pursuit is called sanctification. Amen? And uh, we, we, the apostle Peter would say it like this, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. Now, I need your minds here tonight. I need, your, I need you to buckle in. Think with me. We're going to dig into the word of the Lord, all right? 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And when he, uh, when he speaks there of strangers, he's not talking about people he doesn't know. But he's, he's speaking of the church. Somebody say the church. So he's writing to the church. He's speaking of the church. But the reason he calls them strangers is because this is the time of uh, the dispersion or what's called the diaspora. It's the time when the, uh, the, the pe- God's people in Jerusalem were being persecuted for believing on Jesus Christ. They were being thrown in prison. They were being put to death. And so they had to flee Jerusalem. That's where the church was started in Jerusalem. It was big. I, some, some counts was 20, 30, 40,000 people in Jerusalem were followers of Jesus Christ, were Christians. But then uh, they came in and they began to persecute the Christians. And so they had to leave Jerusalem. And so now all of these church folks are all in these different uh, lands, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. They're all, they're all over there. And so when he's speaking to them, he knows, he knows who he's talking to. He's talking to the church. But he says, you are strangers in the place that you are. That's why he calls them strangers. But there's also a a spiritual context for why he calls them strangers because as they were in the physical, so also was he trying to teach them a lesson of how they were in the spiritual because he wanted them to understand we are strangers in this world. How many know the Bible says we are strangers, we are pilgrims in this world? Amen. We're just passing through. Right? This world is not our home. This world is not our home. We we are not to be comfortable in this world. We are to be strangers in this world. Oh, hallelujah. We're not, we should not get so tied up with the things of this world that we feel at home and comfortable in the things of this world because we're not a part of this kingdom. We're a part of another kingdom. Oh, hallelujah, whose ruler is Jesus Christ. And one day he's going to call us home to be with him forever. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. To be forever with him in heaven. Oh, hallelujah, we're here, but we're just here temporarily. This is our temporal home, but we are strangers and sojourners, the Bible says, in this land. And so this is, the, uh, so this is, this is kind of the, the point, the message he's trying to deliver to the church, you're a stranger, you're a stranger in this land. And so to the church, it's important that you understand that he's not talking to strangers as we might think them to be strangers, but he's talking to the church. And so to the church, he continues to write this, First Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, the next verse. He says, the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Let me, I wasn't going to talk about this, but just so there's no confusion and you don't ever get confused by this stuff. How many's ever heard, you know, the Bible talks about predestinated, okay? And, and you've heard people talk about predestinated. And there's a belief out there that certain people have been uh, uh, chosen by God or predestined by God to be a part of the church. And if you are not predestined by God to be a part of the church, then there's nothing you can do to become a part of the church. You just weren't lucky enough to be chosen to be a part of the church. It's a, it's a doctrine of predestination. It's the elect that God has elected a few people or, or a, a certain amount of people to be in the church and everybody else is just, well, you're just out of luck, I guess. 
And so the Bible does talk about the elect, and the Bible does talk about predestinated. But what? don't be confused by all that. What The best way for you to understand what it's talking about is this. The church was predestinated. Who gets to be in the church is decided upon everyone's own choice to be obedient or disobedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So no person is predestinated or not predestinated to be in the church. The thing that was predestinated is God's going to have a church. He, would, he predestined that before time even began. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he shed his blood so that there would be a church that was purchased. He will have a bride without spot or there will be a church. When the trumpet sounds, there will be a church that is caught up together to meet him in the air. That has been predestinated. But who's a part of that church has not predestinated. That's where it comes to you and I to make the decision, are we going to be obedient to the things of God to do what's necessary to be a part of the church? Make sense? And so when it talks about elect and the foreknowledge of God, it's not talking about predestination, all that. And so back, back again, 1 Peter 1 and 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through, and here's the word, here's the word, sanctification. Everybody say sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, again, think, 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 think with me. He's telling them that they are a part of the church because of the sanctification of the Spirit and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ or because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, get this. He puts sanctification first, not because it's what initially saves us. He puts sanctification first, not because that's what puts us into the church, but rather because of the audience to whom he was writing. For again, who's he writing to? The church. He's writing to saved people who have already come in contact with the blood of Jesus Christ or else they would never have been in the church. When they were obedient to the gospel, repented, were baptized, filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, they came in contact with that which the blood of Jesus Christ purchased at Calvary. That's what allowed them to be in the kingdom, in the church, was the blood of Jesus Christ. So it's important that you see this because some may would look at that and say, well, that looks like sanctification puts us into the church. Being sanctified or becoming holy or becoming more like Christ is what puts us into the church. And that's not true. The only thing that puts us into the church is our obedience to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not because you live holy or live separate from the world. I mean, there's, we won't name names, but there's, there's, there's people in our world that have certain beliefs that they live far more separate from the world than even what we do. But that doesn't mean they're a part of the church. Does that make sense? And so, 
We, we understand it as our obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves us. And yet, as we learned last week, once we have been obedient to the gospel, born again, entered into the kingdom of God, then it is sanctification and this process of becoming more like Christ, separating ourselves from the world, pursuing after his holiness that helps keep us saved. Doesn't save us, but it helps keep us saved. And if you don't have it, you're not going to be saved very long. Because why? We will become entangled again with the things of the world. And we'll go back to the things of the world. And so how does it do it? It guards us, these, these sanctification processes as we move forward to become more like Christ. These are guards that are put up in our lives that would keep us from being entangled again with the things of the world. Oh, hallelujah. Because how many know to go back to the things of the world would be to no longer be in the church, to be no longer under the saving power of God's grace and God's mercy. Because we do not believe the Bible teaches once saved, always saved. We do not believe that you can just get saved and then it doesn't matter what you do or how you live. Once you are saved, then you're just saved and you can just go do and live however you want to live. But when the rapture comes, you're going to be taken out of here. No, there's far too many verses that discredit that belief. And so we know that when we go back to the things of the world and we go back to sin and we allow sin to run rampant in our lives and stay unrepented in our heart, that we then move ourselves out from the church. How I many know uh, there is no fellowship with light and darkness? You can't have darkness in your life and, and have fellowship with the light of Jesus Christ at the same time. And so... So we go back, we go back, we go back. And so that's why sanctification is so powerful. That's why it's so important that we put these things and these guards in our lives so that it keeps us from being tempted to go back to the things of the world. And it's important that you see that he instructs them. Now, if you can put that verse back up, please. It's important that you see that he instructs them to move forward in sanctification of the spirit unto obedience. Everybody say, unto obedience. Am I teaching too fast tonight? Unto, so sanctification of the Spirit. So it's the Spirit, we're going to talk about this in a minute, I think, but it's the Spirit that's doing the leading. The Spirit is what leads. Sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience. So now, total and, now remember, Total obedience and complete obedience in every single area of our lives would be the epitome of holiness. Right? If we were totally and completely obedient in every single area of our lives, that's the pinnacle of holiness, which none of us are there. Who's there? God's there because he is totally and completely obedient as far as his righteousness, his holiness. That's why the, the book, the writer of Hebrews would tell us this in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. 
seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Here we go. But was in all points tempted, just like we're tempted, yet without sin. Now raise your hand if you can say that. No, no. Only God can say these things. That when he was manifested in the flesh, he was tempted as all humanity is tempted, and yet he was without sin. And so he is the only one obedient in holiness and righteousness to the point of being without sin. Without sin. And so that is the mark of God's holiness that you and I are instructed to strive after. That is the mark, God's holiness, that you and I are instructed to pursue after, to follow after. But again, we will never obtain that level of holiness. Because to obtain that level of holiness would be to make us as God. And we're never going to get that far. But the achievement, now this is important that you get this, the achievement of some high lofty measure of holiness is not what pleases God. But what pleases God is our desire to simply become more like him today and less like the world. And I'm glad about that, Brother Ron. I'm glad that there's not some crazy, far-off, way-high level of holiness. And God said, I'm not pleased with any of you until you hit that point. But no. But the Lord said, there is, there, we bring pleasure to God when we allow the sanctification process to work. Which is what? No, I've got a long way to go to be like Christ. But guess what? Today, I'm going to get a little closer than what I was yesterday. And tomorrow, I'm going to get a little more closer. And the next day, I'm going to get a little closer. And God says, I'm pleased with that. Are they perfect? No, they're not perfect. Are they obedient in every area of their life? No. But they're striving to be like me. They're striving to be more like me. They're striving after my holiness. And that's what pleases him. That's why the sanctification process is the spirit leading us. Back to that verse, please. The spirit leading us unto, unto, unto that place of God's holiness. Towards that place of total obedience and submission to the will of God for our living. Towards it, unto it, sanctification. Somebody says amen. So it's that journey. It's this journey that we're on, the journey of sanctification. Now, that's why the Greek word translated sanctification is the word uh, hagaismos. Anybody want to correct me on that? Which means holiness. So the Greek word 
translated sanctification is the word that means holiness. Therefore, now listen, to sanctify someone means to make holy. Now it doesn't mean you've made them holy. Making. It's a process. It's a process. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody said amen. It's this making process, this forming process, this journey that moves us closer to the holiness of God. And the scripture gives us insight into this process of sanctification when it says this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify. There it is, right? That's the word. The very God of peace will sanctify you wholly or completely working on us, the wholeness of who we are. Complete, not just a part of us. He doesn't want to just work on one area of us. Come on, somebody. We, he doesn't want us to just allow him access to just one part of us, but he wants to work on all of us. Now, now watch. Now, this is important. So it's talking about the sanctification process, and, and the God of peace wants to sanctify you. And So I pray, God, your whole spirit, everybody say spirit, soul, everybody say soul, and body, everybody say body, be preserved to the point where you're pursuing after blameless, to be blameless in all of those areas. That's the goal because that's his holiness because he's blameless, and that's the pursuit. Now, and he wants us to pursue that, sanctification, in those areas. Now, spirit, soul, and body, spirit, soul, and body, spirit, soul, and body. I believe this verse is showing us the process of sanctification and how it happens and how it works and how the spirit works sanctification in our lives. I believe it happens in that particular order that he's just mentioned. I don't believe that those words are there, spirit, soul, and body. I don't believe that those words are just there haphazardly, but I believe the, the Lord very specifically wanted those words there, and he said, when I sanctify you, I want to sanctify all of you, but here's how I'm going to do it. This is the process. When I do something, I do it line upon line, here a little and there a little, and so my process is this. I start spirit, go to soul, body. So the first thing that God deals with us about in this process of sanctification needs to be with his spirit. For it is impossible to be holy without the Holy Ghost. Right? Look at the verse again, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. And again, I need your minds. Through sanctification of the what? Spirit. Spirit. So again, who is leading us in this process? The what? The spirit. So if we don't have his spirit, we can't go nowhere. It's the spirit that leads us down the road of sanctification, down the path of sanctification. That's why a relationship with Jesus Christ is so important. Hear me, if you have been filled with the Spirit of the Lord, 
It's the spirit that wants to lead and guide into all truth. It's the spirit that wants to lead us into sanctification. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then you'll never be able to hear the voice of the spirit moving you. And so you'll just always stay where you are because you don't have enough of his voice clarity of his voice speaking to you through his word. If you don't ever read the word, you're never going to hear the spirit speaking to you through his word as it applies to moving you forward. Am I right about it? So therefore, without his spirit, we could never please God with our living. Now I'm talking about people that don't have his spirit, never been filled with the Holy Ghost. It is impossible. It's impossible to please God with our living by becoming more like him unless you have first been filled with his spirit because it's the spirit that leads. And without it, the book would say it another place like this, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8. For ye were sometimes in darkness, but now are, you, are ye the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So you were in darkness, but now you're in the light. How did that happen? How did that happen? Verse 9. For the fruit of the what? Spirit. How did you go from darkness to light? The Spirit. The Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit led you. When you were filled with the Spirit, it brought you into the light of the kingdom of God. But now watch what it says. The fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness. So the fruit or the response or the reward or however you would want to say it, of the Spirit is to show you that which is righteous or that which is right. This is the way, and truth. What is it? It's the Spirit leading us in this journey of sanctification. This is what's right. This is what's right. This is truth. This is truth. Walk ye in it. This is righteousness. Walk you in this way. And so we become more separate and more separate and more separate from the world because we're following after voice of truth as it shows us the greater righteousness that he desires for us to live. Now watch verse 10. Proving, showing, revealing to us what is acceptable unto the Lord and... Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So here we see that it is the Spirit of God that we have been filled with that either shows us what is acceptable unto the Lord or that which is unfruitful and in darkness. What is it that shows us those things? The Spirit shows us those things. The Spirit shows us this is right, this is wrong. This is righteous, this is unrighteous. This is light, this is dark. This is wrong, this is right. Walk this way, don't walk this way. What is it? It's the Spirit leading us. Oh, hallelujah. And that's why he said, when I want to sanctify you, I got to start with the Spirit. Oh, am I making sense? So you got to get the Holy Ghost. You gotta be filled with the Spirit. Now, it's I'm gonna pastor a little bit now. It's this very thing that we're talking about that should cause us not to care about what our guests and visitors look like outwardly when they show up to church. 
Because the first thing in their journey towards sanctification must be the infilling of the Spirit. And until that happens, nothing else matters. I've heard, I heard a story years ago, and thank God this is the exception and not the rule, because most churches aren't this. <laughs> Fill in the blank. But I heard a church that at, at their door into their building, they had a closet, and in that closet was filled with appropriate clothing. And if a guest didn't look right, according to what they thought didn't look right. They'd bring them over to the appropriate clothing closet, give them a few clothes, and they'd go change before they came in to the tabernacle of the holy God. That's not biblical. None of us should ever make a guest feel uncomfortable for the way they are dressed or the way they look. We should never, ever, 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 ever look down our nose at an unsaved person for how they present themselves in the house of the Lord. And please, whatever you do, don't invite somebody to church and then say, if you're going to show up, you should probably wear this. I hope nobody does that. But if you are doing it, stop. Don't tell them what to dress, how to dress, what to look like. Just let them come to church. Why? Because none of that stuff matters for them. None of it. Because the first thing that has to happen on their road of sanctification is that they must be filled with the Spirit of God. Because then the Spirit of God will lead them into those paths. And until that happens, again, nothing else matters. And we should not require something of someone that the Bible doesn't require of them. Don't run somebody off from the church because you start trying to cram stuff down their throats. You got to dress this way. You got to look this way. You got to stop doing this and stop doing that and on and on and on and on and on. And they don't even have the Holy Ghost yet. They don't even have the Spirit of God in them yet. I'd probably run too. It's the Spirit that makes all the difference, right? It's that encounter with the Spirit of God that makes all the difference. Mm. Now, if they have been filled with the Holy Ghost, now this is important, we need to allow time for the Spirit of God to lead them Time for the Spirit of God to guide them. You say, well, are you going, you know, charismatic? Are you dropping? No, I'm not dropping nothing. I believe in holiness now more than I've ever believed it. Separation now more than I've ever believed it. But I've always believed it's to be a work of the Spirit. And this, we need to allow the Spirit time. Well, they've been in church two weeks. And what's so funny about that is we compare ourselves to them 
only because we're a little farther down the road. When it's just possible, the things God's trying to change in us, he's been trying to change for years. But because we're not smoking a carton anymore, we feel like ah, we're goody-goody. And why are they still puffing away on those things? They need to stop doing that, blah, 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 blah. And the Lord's saying, why are you still doing this and this and this? Come on, somebody. Well, hallelujah. <laughs> I'm just teaching good right now. Just good. So if we, if, we want, if we want the spirit, if we want time for ourselves, for the spirit to lead us and guide us and direct us, then we need to allow time for others as well. Now let me just give you for instance, just, just think about this with me. You, so, so, we, we, so a lady shows up. This didn't really happen, but let's just, let's just, I want you to think about it in this context. So we, we got a lady, she's in the world and she's unsaved and she doesn't know anything about Pentecost. And she shows up to one of our services. And her life's a wreck and her life's a ruins and all kinds of stuff. And man, she feels the power of God. And the Lord, she opens up her heart and she begins to repent of her sins. And, and we baptize her in Jesus' name. She comes up out of the water, speaking in tongues. And the Spirit of God fills her soul. And she keeps coming for a little while. She keeps coming for a little while. And her relationship with God grows and grows and grows. And she begins to pursue after the holiness of God. And as in, in prayer one day, as she begins to read the word and pray and the spirit speaks to her, all of a sudden, Sister Vivian, the Lord speaks to her about the principle of gender distinction as it applies to dress. How many know that's in the Bible? And we're going to talk about that probably in the next week or two. But there's, how many know a man is supposed to dress like a man and a woman is supposed to dress like a woman? Our world's getting it all confused. Which just goes to show the, the confusion that's in our world. But biblically, a, a man's supposed to dress like a man and a woman's supposed to dress like a woman. And so the Lord, back to our lady now, she's, she's getting this revelation of gender distinction. And then all of a sudden light bulbs go off on her head. That's why all those ladies wear dresses. Nobody said anything to me. I never asked. But God just spoke to me and God just gave me revelation about gender distinction. And yes, when a woman has a, a, a dress on, it speaks to her femininity. I always get I, off subject a little bit, not really, but I always get a, a kick out of, you know, oh, you know, that gender distinction, you know, girls can wear what guys wear and blah, blah, blah. Except when it comes to, you know, like... Uh, Prom, and a girl wants to look girly and feminine, what do they wear? Dresses. And so this lady, we need to give her a name. What's a good name for this lady? Jane? Jane. Jane. So she's praying. She's praying, and she gets revelation of gender distinction. And she starts thinking, you know, I know that when I wear a dress, I feel like a, I feel like a woman. And nobody confuses me for anything other than a woman. And now all of a sudden, ding, 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 that's why all the ladies, or a lot of them in the church, wear dresses. 
And she gets this revelation. And she's so excited about this revelation. And she's praying and she's weeping and she's crying. And she's like, God, I give it to you. I want to do what you want me to do. And she's moving forward. Oh, Jane, she's doing good, Sister Jane. Sister Jane, she's, and she's just weeping and crying, and she's like, oh, this is awesome. And so Sunday morning, Sister Faye was Sunday morning. She can't wait to get to church because she's got her skirt on. And she gets to church, and she is so happy. She is so thrilled. They're all wearing skirts, and I'm wearing a skirt. But the thing with Jane is, is her skirt comes to about right here. Now watch, 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 watch. If we're not careful, we say, when Jane inside she said I'm being obedient the Lord gave me revelation of gender distinction and these ladies are wearing dresses and I'm wearing a dress see because what we here's what we want we want her to get the revelation and uh, the understanding of the principle of gender distinction and the revelation of modesty You should get them all at once. You didn't get it all at once. Why should old sister Jane have to get it all at once? It's not how it worked for you. And so sister Jane, she's thrilled. She's thrilled I got a dress on. And if the church looks down her nose at old sister Jane and and goes up to her, you really should damn. What would that do to her? What would that do to her? Why? This is a process. This is a sanctification. And let me tell you something. If old Jane can hear the voice of God about gender distinction, you better know she's going to hear the voice about modesty. You give her a month, you give her a couple months, that skirt's going to come down a little bit. So we need to understand this stuff that takes time. Any of you ever... Mom's ever given birth to a baby and that baby stands up and starts walking and talking? Uh Uh-uh. Why? It takes time. They're born, but it takes a little time to start walking. It takes a little time to start talking. Just because you're born again doesn't mean you're going to grasp and understand everything. And we've got to be very careful, especially those of us that have been in the church for 20 years, that we don't expect people to be like us. We've got to remember, we've been in it for 20 years. 20 years of the Spirit leading and guiding and directing. 20 years of series being taught to us. 20 years of reading our Bible. 20 years of praying. 20 years of talking. 20 years of counsel. We can't expect somebody to get in 20 days what we've got in 20 years. So we got to give time to people and let the Spirit do the work. And so around here, we need to let the Holy Ghost deal with them first. And then pastor will deal with them through the teaching and the preaching of the word of the Lord. And that leaves everybody else to be an awesome example of what holiness and godliness looks like. Is that okay? Now, you say, well, what if, you know, what if it's, it's somebody I'm discipling, if it's somebody I'm, I brought, you know, my neighbor, my friend, whatever, and they come to me and ask me a question about, you know, why we live this way and dress this way and look this way and all this kind of stuff. If that's the case and you can tell that they're sincere and you can tell that they're, they're very, you know, open in, in their question, they're very sincere in their question, then by all means, 
Speak the truth to them in love. Being sensitive to where they are spiritually. Sensitive. So, you know, if somebody comes to me and says, you know, if they don't even have the Holy Ghost, and they, and they start asking me about dress and all this kind of stuff. I say, you know what, listen, I'm happy to talk to you about that. It's all very, very biblical. And, and I, I might just give them a few little things, you know, to, to kind of help answer the question on a general level. But I'll tell them, I'll say, listen, well, we're just so glad you're coming. And listen, I don't, you, you've, heard me, you've heard me speak about repentance, right? Yeah. You've heard me speak about baptism, right? Yeah. You've heard me speak about the Holy Ghost, right? Yeah. Okay, that's all I want you to be focusing on right now. That's what your focus needs. That's what you need to be praying about. That's what you need to be thinking about right now is to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Because then all other stuff, as we're going to talk about in a minute, is going to take care of itself. But we should never make anybody uncomfortable for looking like they look if they're unsaved. And so then you, then you have this. Then you have this. Well, what about the people who know better? What about the people who've had the Holy Ghost for 10 years? And are now looking like this and dressing like that and on and on and on. Now listen, if they, just think with me, if they know better and they're not doing it, then they are disobedient. Right? Watch what the book says. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2. Wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, it's talking about Satan, the spirit, the spirit of Satan that now worketh in the children of what? Disobedience. So here we see that the, the enemy, Satan, Lucifer, he is at work in the lives of those who are disobedient, purposefully disobeying the word of the Lord, things that they know to do. But here's what I want you to think about. If the devil is at work in their lives, in the lives of those that are disobedient, do we really think that's going to change because we get them to wear different clothes? Well, they should know better. They should know better. They, they need to wear this, and they need to dress like this, and they need to do this, and this, and this, and that, and the other. Do we really think that it's going to change who they are? Because we push on them. You need to dress different. Because if they're backslid, it doesn't matter what kind of clothes they're wearing. If they're not faithful, if they never pray, if they never read the Bible, then it doesn't matter how long or short their hair is. If the things of God are not important in their life, then it doesn't matter how they're currently living. And they don't need somebody telling them what to wear if they're in that place. And they don't need somebody telling them how to live. Because that's not going to fix the problem. Well, if I can just get them to dress right, then their spirits will be right. No. They need somebody to encourage them to seek after a refilling of the Holy Ghost. Anybody believe what I just said? That's what they need. They don't need somebody beating them up and telling them you're not dressing right, not look, why are you talking like that now? No, 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 no. They just need somebody to encourage them to be refilled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. They need somebody to love them back to a renewed encounter with the presence of Almighty God. That's what they need. Why? I'll tell you why. Because the way they look is just a symptom it's not the cause. 
Their problem isn't the wrong music they're listening to. Their problem isn't the wrong people they're hanging around with and attaching themselves to. Their their problem isn't all the other sinful stuff that they're doing. That's not their problem. That's the symptom of their problem. The problem is they have grown cold in the spirit. That's their problem. They've grown cold in the spirit. And when you grow cold in the spirit, you start talking to people you shouldn't talk to. You start hanging around people you shouldn't hang around with. You start listening to stuff and watching stuff and participating in stuff that you shouldn't be doing when you grow cold in the spirit. But once you get a refilling of the spirit of God and once you get a renewed passion for the spirit of God at work in your life, the problem will be fixed and the symptoms will go away. Oh, hallelujah. You get them refilled with the Holy Ghost, you get them on fire for God, modesty will not be a problem. I've never, I pastored 20 years this year. I've never had, never had somebody who was red hot on fire for God who wanted to be immodest. And buck up against the teachings of holiness and separation. Never. The ones, who, the ones who wanted to contradict it, the ones who didn't want to live it, were always the ones who were carnal. Every single time. And you can't argue with me about that. Because I've got 20 years of experience. I've never had one person that was praying every day and fasting and teaching Bible studies and coming early and staying late and being involved in ministry that, that didn't submit and obedient and be obedient, lovingly, lovingly obedient to the things of separation because they loved it. They wanted to be more like Christ. They didn't have a problem with it. They loved it, the beauty of holiness. So you get them full to overflowing with the love of Jesus Christ and a desire to be separate from this world is not going to be an issue. Oh, hallelujah. So that's why we got to be filled with the Spirit. Somebody said amen. Amen. The Spirit leads us. Spirit, 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 Spirit. So if I want to sanctify you, it's got to start with the Spirit. Spirit, Spirit first. Spirit first. There's so much more we could talk about all that, but we got to hurry and move on. But the next level, the next level of sanctification, this is, I'm not going to get to all three, so don't worry. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. Everybody good? 1 Thessalonians 5.23, and the very God of peace sanctify you holy, and I pray your whole spirit and soul. Somebody say soul. Soul. So after we've been filled with the spirit, that spirit begins to lead, and that spirit begins to guide, and that spirit begins to direct. And the first thing that the spirit of God begins to direct us in and help to change us in is the areas concerning our soul. Now, this is very important because there's sometimes there's confusion between what the spirit of a man is and what the soul of a man is. Our spirits are the part of us that are going to live throughout eternity. Okay? That's our spirit. It's going to live for eternity, either in heaven or in hell. Our spirit is going to live throughout all of eternity. It's the God-conscious part of who we are. 
spirit that desires to then be filled with the Spirit of God. But our souls are different. Our souls are the seat of our affections. It is the source of our passion. It's not going to live through all of eternity. It's, it's the source of where we are now, of, of, of what we're passionate about, what we love, what we hate, what makes us angry. That's what our soul is. It's, it's, it's what drives our sensations and our appetites. It's the thing that pushes us. What do we crave? What do we want? What do we desire? What do we like? What do we fear? What do we love? Our soul. It's where our desires are. It's where, it's where our emotions have their source. It is our will. It's our active will. This is what I want to do. I, I, I want to do this, 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 this. Where does it come from? It comes from our soul. It's the inner man. Somebody say the inner man. It's, it's, it's our soul. It's our inner man. Our inner man is what we do when nobody else is watching. Our soul, our inner man. What we do when no one else is watching. Our inner man is how we think when it's just us in the room. Our inner man is the real us. Our inner man is the real us. Not the one we're faking in front of other people so people think we're something that we're not. I'm still teaching good. That's the inner man. That's the soul. That's the real you. Our inner man is what we really want, really desire, really think. Our will, our actions first have their inception in our soul. They first have their inception in our inner man. And then they are acted out in our life. Now, now, now the spirit can begin working on our inner desires. Notice nobody's running the aisles now. Now we're getting real. Now we're dealing with what's in here. Now we're dealing with what's in here. Mm. Uh-huh. It's easy sometimes to just put the right clothing choices on. I am an apostolic. I am a Christian, and you should know because of how I'm dressed. But there's all kinds of junk in here. And the Spirit first wants to begin to work in here. Inner passions, inner loves, inner appetites. Hmm. Because it's not enough to look right on the outside, if our inward man is filled with unrighteousness. In fact, Jesus comes down pretty hard on that. Luke chapter 11 and verse 39. Luke chapter 11 and verse 39. And the Lord said unto him, Now do you Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup, and the outside of the platter, but your inward part is full of Ravening and wickedness. That's what the inward part is full of. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 27. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. 
You guys think I'm bold sometimes. Bunch of hypocrites. For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful on the outward, but are within full of dead men's bones. And of all uncleanness, even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Mm. Jesus, now this is very important that you understand this, and I'm hurrying. Jesus is not discrediting their outward appearance. Somebody might look at that and say, see, Jesus, he doesn't even care about the outward appearance. He just works, he just cares about the inward appearance. That's not what he's saying. He's not discrediting their outward appearance. He, nowhere there does he condemn them for looking holy on the outside. The problem he had was that the way they looked on the outside was not a reflection of how they looked on the inside. That's the problem. <laughs> Their outward holiness was not a reflection or a result of their inward holiness. The issue he had with them was that their concern was more about if they looked good instead of if they really were good. And how many know there's a difference? And if we're not careful, we can fall right into that same pharisaical mindset. We can start living up to some certain standards so that everybody thinks we're holy, so that everybody thinks we're doing good, so that everybody thinks, okay, when in reality our inward man and the true person that we are is far from God. And we put on a show, we put on a facade. But the inward man is far from God. The Word of God puts it like this, 2 Chronicles 25 and 2, and he did, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but he did not have a perfect heart. They live up to a certain standard, but their heart is not right with God. They live up to a certain conduct of clothing, but their heart is not right with God. They act like an apostolic is supposed to act when they're with other apostolics, but their heart is not right with God. They know when to clap, they know when to stand, they know when to say amen, but their heart is not right with God. And God is not pleased with us just doing right. He wants us to actually be right. Oh, hallelujah. It's not enough to just act right. We've got to be right. Not enough to just live holy in the sense of outwardly so that others may see it, but we need to be holy. Not just act righteous, but be righteous. That's why the Lord would say in Matthew 23 and verse 37, Jesus saith unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. In other words, I want, you, I want your love to originate in the right place, and that right place is the inward man. Your heart, your soul. We don't love God with our heart, doesn't matter how modest our clothes are. If we don't love God with our souls, it doesn't matter how long or short our hair is. If we don't love God on the inside, then it doesn't matter what the outside looks like. 
And so when God's speaking, he said, I want to sanctify you holy. He said, I want to start with the Spirit because the Spirit's going to what's going to lead you and talk to you and educate you and help you. But then I want to start talking and dealing with your soul because I want your inward man to be right. Mm, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Man looketh with on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. It's not that he discredits what's on the outside because that's just as important, but he knows that if what's on the outside did not first have its inception on the inside, then it's pointless. It's pointless. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus would say this, Matthew 23 and 25, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Verse 26, Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Clean first the inside, and then we'll deal with the outside. He didn't say just clean the inside and don't worry about the outside or that the outside doesn't matter. He said, no, 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 we're going to get to the outside, but you got to clean first the inside because if all you have is outside, then you're just a Pharisee. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. How I many know the, the, the soul, the soul, the soul of a man, that is where sin begins. That's where sin begins. When the devil tempts us, it starts in our heart. It starts in our soul. It starts in our inward man. And we begin to dwell on those things and dwell on those temptations, dwell on those desires until eventually it leads us to committing those acts. But how many know it doesn't start in the action? It starts in here. Starts in the inward man. And if our inward man is not pleasing to God, and if our inward man is not clean, and if our inward man is not lined up to the righteousness of God, then those things that the enemy plants and those thoughts that he plants into our mind, there's not going to be anything in the inward man to stop them from coming to fruition. So those things are going to come into our inward man. We're going to dwell on them, dwell on them. There's nothing in there to stop them. There's no guards in our life. There's no, there's no filters in our inward man. And so the enemy plants those in our inward man. They grow, they grow, they fester, they fester until eventually we act on them and it becomes sin. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. James 1.14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust, and he is enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. Sin, the thought, the thought, the thought, the temptation enters into our inward man, and because our inward man is not right, those things have free reign to just come out of us. As actions of sin, jealousies, hatred, envy, strife, gossip, backbiting, on and on and on. None of that is outward necessarily as far as a clothing piece you can put on. 
But all of it starts in here. And it shows up out here. And that's when it becomes sin. Starts with the inward man. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus' name. Let's stand. Let's stand. Mm. So how do we allow the working of the Spirit? I skipped some stuff. I feel like I'm losing some folks here. but How do we allow the working of the Spirit to accomplish His work in our lives? How do we allow it? The inward man. How do we get to the place in the Spirit that it begins to cause our inward man to become more like Christ? How do we allow the Spirit to work on us inwardly? The first thing... And the thing I believe the Lord would want us to do with the remaining time this evening that we have is to allow the Holy Ghost, the Spirit, to reveal to us and to show us any unrepented sin that is operating in our lives. And here's why. Because sanctification is a process, right? And there may be sins and failures in our lives that we're unaware of. Right? Because the Spirit has yet to lead us to that point. And there's things in our life we're just unaware of. And, 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 and we need the Spirit to continue to lead and guide so we can, you know, search me, oh God, and all those kind of things. And that's why we need the help of the Holy Ghost to show us those things that we're not aware of. But it's just possible that the Holy Ghost has already spoken to us about some things, but we refuse to repent of them. And we refuse to submit to them. And if, we, and if we know that the Bible speaks of sanctification being a journey, everybody say a journey, then like a natural journey, we can never get to the fifth step in our journey unless we take the first four steps. So we cannot pick and choose the steps of this journey that the Spirit is going to lead us on. This is very important that we get this and I'll be done. We cannot pick and choose. The Spirit can't speak to us and say, I want you to change this, and I'm leading you this way, and I'm leading you that way. And we say, okay, I'll do that. Okay, and we walk. And, okay, I'll do that, and we walk. And, no, I don't want to do that one. So, okay, let's just skip that one, and we'll go to the next one. And we'll just keep, no, 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 that's not how it works. You can't skip them. You take the first step, then the second step, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, you go in order. The Spirit leads us in order. And so what happens is this, we get to a certain place in our walk with God and the Spirit leads us in this journey of sanctification and he gets us to a place where he says, I want you to do this, I want you to cut this out of your life, I want you to get rid of this, separate yourself from this. And we say, I don't want to do that, let's move on to something else. And the Lord says, no, we're just going to camp right here. We're going to camp right here until you become willing to submit to the process of sanctification. And you and I will never be able to move further to become more like him unless we get to this point that we're unwilling to repent of and get out of our lives and become submitted to it and obedient to it and say yes to it. Then the Lord can say, okay, now let me take you to the next step and the next step and the next step. And so here's what I feel to do as we in this service tonight, in this Bible study and prayer. I believe the Lord is speaking to hearts even right now. 
I believe the Lord is speaking to hearts even right now. And the devil doesn't want us to hear that voice. There's a little bit of a something in the room right now. The, de- the enemy doesn't want us to hear that voice. The enemy wants me just to say, reach up, reach out, reach in, and send you all home. Because he doesn't want anybody to move forward in the things of sanctification. But I believe that there's some people in this room even right now who understand, who know, who know, God, you've talked to me. And I've said no. You've spoken to me about some things, and I've told you no. And I don't want to do that. And I don't want to get rid of that. And I don't want to cut that person out of my life. And I don't want to throw that away. And I, I, I want to keep looking at this and watching this and listening to this. And I, 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 so I say no to that. But I, I, I still want you to do a work in my life. And the Lord says, I cannot lead you any further than the place of your no. But in this room right now, if there would be somebody, if there would be somebody who would cause your no to become a yes and you would submit to the plan of God and the purpose of God and be willing to cut out everything that God's calling you to cut out, he's going to lead you into the next dimensions that he's calling you to go into. And so here's what I'm going to do. Just because I feel, I don't know what the deal is right now. I feel so much pressure to just get you out of here. I think it's the enemy. So I'm just going to just slap him around a little bit. So I'm going to open this altar. I'm going to open this altar, and I want us to pray. Can somebody please help me right now? Can you come on down? Maybe if it's not for you, it's for somebody else in this place. Such a resistance in this room right now. Spiritual resistance, fleshly resistance. Come on, the enemy's trying to keep you where you are. The enemy's trying to keep you where you are.